Well, good morning. Thank you. It is great to be back. Chris and I were gone for three months, and uh, in our tradition, in our Presbyterian tradition, we have um, something called a sabbatical that is offered to pastors once every seven years. And uh, this was our third sabbatical. You can do the math. And uh, we were... Uh, we were able to travel, and because the church, uh, Mountain View, has been uh, so generous over the last seven years, setting aside some money every year, and we squirreled away as much money as we could, we were able to really kind of go out on the trip of a lifetime this summer. It was really great. But I wanted to say, before I tell you anything about that, I want to say a huge thank you to Dan Jones. Yes. And I should say... I should actually say Dan and Sarah because, yes, because this was not an easy summer, and um, having experienced similar times, I know that ministry couples bear um, equal parts of that, especially if you have a young family, and the two of you have participated in, in giving me and Chris an amazing gift, and we will never forget it. So... There are lots of others who have uh, who stepped up and did a lot of extra things this summer, and if I started naming them, we'd be here all morning doing that, but I just want you to know our hearts are full of gratitude. We, Chris and I did travel in June, traveled to, to Italy, and we have a favorite place that we like to go to. That's it. Um, it's called Marina del Cantone. This is the view from our... Um, from our balcony overlooking this amazing little cove on this in the south of Italy and uh, we stay in this little tiny hotel run by a family that we've become good friends with and it's it was just wonderful um, from there we uh, we traveled to um, at the end of our time in uh, Europe we traveled to Ireland and uh, this is a uh, this is a picture from Sligo in uh, in, uh, in County Sligo, County Leitrim, actually. And um, we basically went to this one place. Uh, I was able to kind of fulfill a, a dream of, that I've had for most of the last 10 years of playing Irish music in Ireland. And, uh, but we also spent time just um, seeing places like, this is the, the Sligo Abbey. Uh, a lot of the abbeys, the Catholic churches in um, Ireland are in ruins like this because they were torn down during the years of uh, Oliver Cromwell, if you know your history. So this is, this is us in, in Ireland. But um, then we came home um, back here and went up to Canada. And uh, there we are in Victoria. So this was a summer of taking selfies. <laughs> we did a lot of them. And, uh, but we, were, we, we had some time on Vancouver Island, also up on the Sunshine Coast with our, our trailer. And um, but I think people have been asking me, what's my highlight of the summer? Here's my highlight. Next slide is um, we're at the Dungeness Lighthouse with, uh, with a couple of crabs, a, uh, a squid, and Levi. <laughs> <So> <clears throat> but we had some wonderful time with our family um, up on the Olympic Peninsula. And I think my favorite times were, were going around in a boat um, and uh, Jason and I were uh, with the four, the four kids as we went out to the spit that day, the Dungeness spit. So it was just so much fun. So it was a great summer. And uh, we had a lot of time of camping, a lot of time of just uh, having wonderful, quiet, quiet time. And it is wonderful to be back. Really, really great to be back. So thank you. 
Um, <clears throat> this morning we are starting something new. We begin in the fall of the year. That this has often been a good opportunity to spend time with the Old Testament, and so this year we're going to dwell to live for a while with the prophet Isaiah. I'm excited about this for several reasons, but in particular. Um, Isaiah's prophecies are some of the most poignant, evocative poetry in the scriptures. For example, you might recognize this from Isaiah 9, for a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Does music come to mind? (laughs) Then Isaiah 40, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like, yes, eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is all Isaiah. Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that has made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. And this passage that has been actually on the inside cover of my sermon writing notebook for over two decades from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me and has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. This is all the prophet Isaiah, and you probably have a favorite verse from Isaiah that I haven't mentioned here, but these inspired, God-breathed words have, have called God's people to faithfulness, and integrity, and worship for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, friends, as we open this book, I want to remind us that the Old Testament prophets are are those we need to listen to. These these are not just comforting words. They're not also primarily concerned with telling the future, the way a fortune teller might tell the future. We think of prophecy, and we think of telling the future. But rather, the prophets of Israel spoke truth to power. They took on the kings. And and they challenged the people of God to be obedient to God. The prophets often recounted history and, and interpreted current events as well as predicted what would happen. So, Prophets, the prophets of Old Testament were all about the past, the present, and the future, but always with an eye toward the judgment that would fall upon the children of God if they chose not to obey what God was saying through the prophet. Isaiah is a book that has also kind of puzzled Bible scholars for a long time because there are clear indications that the, this prophetic material was written during several different generations that span a period of nearly 200 years from the, the reign of King Ahaz of Judah in 736 B.C. 
to the fall of Jerusalem and then the exile of the Jewish leaders to Babylon, which happened in 587, to the Persian king Cyrus, who allowed exiles to return home in 539 B.C. So we have material that stretches from 736 all the way to 539, almost, almost 200 years. And this is confusing. So how could the one person write this? So it's likely that while the early chapters are the actual words of Isaiah, son of Amos, which is mentioned right at the beginning of our passage this morning, in the 8th century BC, the material in chapters 40 and onward are likely the work of those in Isaiah's tradition or, of, or his school of prophets. And all this material was gathered together in one book and simply called Isaiah, without explanation. So in our series, we're, we're not going to get real technical about these issues, but it's good to name them up front, I think. Our attention will mostly be on the content, these words that have encouraged and challenged God's people. So speaking of that, sometimes the prophets are difficult to listen to. <laughs> there are no pulled punches, no minced words, and this is what we see at the very beginning of Isaiah right from verse two in chapter one. Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Doesn't waste any time getting right to the point. And then in verse four, oh, sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, offspring who do evil, children who deal corruptly, those who have forsaken the Lord, who have despised the Holy One of Israel, who are utterly estranged. God is speaking here as a grieving parent with a pathos that only parents of grown children can fully understand children who have cho chosen to live in a way that has brought them pain or suffering or worse. I've sat with many parents who are worried sick about their children. I remember one couple saying to me that they had stopped wondering if their son would attempt suicide. They were just now wondering when. Can you imagine? Some of you can. Thankfully, that young man is still alive and doing well. But when you are in the middle of it, as a parent, when you're in the middle of that, it is a helpless, even hopeless situation. You, you, you can't ch force your kids to choose life. You hear the agony in verse 5. Why do you seek further beatings? Why do you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. But the point here is that God too feels this way about us when we choose to live in ways that are not his best for us. You hear what I'm saying? And what is that? What, it, what is his best for us. 
Well, it has to do with a kind of integrity. Simply put, it's when our acts of worship and our everyday lives are in agreement. When our acts of worship and our everyday lives are consistent. Look, look at verses 12 through 17. I hope you have your Bibles open because this is really, this is, you need to be able to see this. Verses 12 through 17 of chapter one. Is the prophet saying here, he's talking about their worship. Is he saying here that people should not worship? They should not bring offerings to God's temple, that they should not observe the Sabbath or the celebrate holy festivals? No, he's not saying don't worship. But is the prophet saying here that they are insincere in their prayers, that their worship is a sham? No. What he's calling into question is not what happens in church, but after they leave. Verse, listen to verses 16 and 17 from the message translation. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. This is the kind of integrity God wants here. He's, he's not saying stop going to church. Perhaps you've seen the sign here in town that says that. Have you seen it? It's on Grove. Very clever. Stop going to church. No. God is saying, worship me not just on Sunday, but worship me all week by what you do, how you live. This is living worship, which is different than lively worship. This is living out what you believe about God and, and what God is doing in the world. Do you know what God is doing? It's up on the screen. <laughs> God is a rescuer. God is all about rescuing and restoring what's been damaged by sin and evil in the world. Isaiah, the name Isaiah actually literally means salvation. Isaiah is all about this. God is a lifesaver. And God calls us to participate in this salvation. Not only for ourselves, but for the whole world. Isaiah will say this in so many ways, and it has untold effects in how we live. This fall, We'll listen to Isaiah and hopefully catch a fuller vision of what this means for us, individually and corporately, all of us together. In closing, I want to re-articulate re something Pastor Dan wrote this week in his uh, great article on, in our monthly newsletter, The Encourager. How many of you get The Encourager in your email? Yeah, Okay. And how many honestly have actually read the whole thing this week? Yeah, okay. Sometimes. Read the newsletter. It is, it is really, really important for us in our life together. The encourager has in this week, Dan wrote this. 
This fall, we're starting a new sermon series on the book of Isaiah, looking specifically at spiritual vitality. God says, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, Isaiah 43, 19. And then he says this, perhaps your spiritual life feels a bit like a desert. Do you crave abundant life? Not just in the future, but now. This is Isaiah's question. This is his point in verse 19 when he says, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That's a really interesting phrase. You shall eat the good of the land. This promise is on point with what we're talking about. It's a promise. If you obey, you'll eat the good of the land. But what does it mean? Chris and I had an epic summer this summer. Uh, we traveled. We had great experiences. But I will tell you, some of my favorite moments were as we sat down to amazing meals in, in Italy. Um, not so much in Ireland. The Irish aren't really known for their food. <laughs> <laughs> but as we traveled around, as we uh, were, had some time in our little travel trailer and, and had some meals that we cooked ourselves, had some wonderful times relaxing, having great food, perhaps a glass of wine, and and you know what I often said, and Chris will tell you I said this over and over again this summer. If I didn't say it, I was thinking it. I said, oh man, this is living. This is living. This is the life. There is a certain sense of living and vitality that comes when you can eat from the good of the land. I believe what Isaiah is asking is this. Do you want to truly live? Are you interested in vitality? Which means to truly come alive. Do you want this? Then feast on the words of Isaiah with us this fall. Next Sunday, Isaiah chapter 6. And worship God not just on Sunday, but like this in a worship gathering, but also worship God by doing good, addressing injustice, rescuing those who are oppressed, defending the orphan, those without parents or effective parents. Defending those who are widows, anyone who's alone and lonely. You could start today by reaching out to someone in your neighborhood. Do you have a lonely person in your neighborhood? Take them some cookies or just go knock on their door and say, how are you doing? You could begin this week by volunteering at our school across the street, Cascade. Notice I said our school. It's no accident this, this church is across the street from an elementary school. I read with kindergartners every Wednesday. It's not difficult. Some of them are very smart, but I can read with them. 
But it is, folks, it is one of the most life-giving things I do each week. It, it just makes me feel alive and vital. For you, it might be making good choices that are, are, are just choices. Asking yourself, is this thing that I'm doing, this decision I'm making, is this right? Is this what God wants for me and my life and my family, my marriage? Is it right? Is it just? Take what you hear and learn on Sunday and practice it this week. This is the key to truly living. It's the secret of a life of blessing for you and for me, for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Father, this takes courage.